Welcome to Journey to Oz, the podcast where we share migration stories from overseas to Australia. We are both registered migration agents, Nick, who specializes in family visas, and myself, Evan, who specializes in employer-sponsored visas. Over the years, we've helped many clients who have very interesting stories to tell. Now, Nick, I really like a migration story, which also provides the listeners with really valuable information. And that's exactly what we have for the listeners today. Can you please give us an introduction of today's guest? Yeah, sure. I spoke to Robin Vogels, the owner of Personal Relocations and the co-author of Your DIY Move to Australia. Now, Robin has had a lot of first-hand experience after moving internationally several times before settling in Australia. Over the last 15 years, she's helped many families migrate to Australia by providing them with advice on what to expect once they arrive in Australia and supporting them through the relocation process as well. She provides services such as finding a rental property, suitable schooling for children, finding the right removalist, assisting clients in opening a bank account, and many more. The services she provides not only make moving more cost-effective, but less stressful as well. I started by asking Robin about her background and where she grew up. As the accent might show, I'm South African, born and brought up in South Africa. Um, Left in my 20s, went to England and had two children in England, then moved to Singapore, then on to France and then on to Australia. (laughs) Wow, you've been around. (laughs) I did. For the first 15 years, I never had two Christmases in the same house. Well, first 15 years of marriage, I never had two Christmases in the same house. So, yes, moving house is second nature to me. Yeah, and I guess that sort of ties into my next question about what inspired you to start personal relocations. It sounds like it was from a lot of experience. Yes, it was a lot of first-hand experience. And when I arrived in Australia back in 2008 and I started some market research, I I didn't have a great um, experience arriving in Australia. And I think a lot of people think it's Australia. How hard can it be? They're so laid back. They're so easy to get on with. And I was of the same mindset. In fact, I'd arrived here from France, which was a very different experience in living in a country where you don't speak the language and where the language is held in such a high regard that you don't insult the language by trying to speak it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, when I arrived in, in Australia, I was looking for a job that could work around the children. I had moved so many times I was, wasn't going to put my CV in front of anybody. And I had run my own business in, in Paris as well. So it, it was a natural okay. fit for me to look for something where I could use my experience and my natural um, wanting to, my, I naturally want to help people. Um, yeah. So it seemed like a natural fit. There wasn't any, there weren't any other relocation companies who were offering a relocation service there was a bespoke bespoke program so making yeah, okay. a program actually and a bit more personal there's big companies um offering relocation services for just two or three days but that's, that doesn't really work in the australian rental market yeah and uh, what are some of the stumbling blocks that you see people face when moving to australia and i guess stumbling blocks that you faced yourself as well Yeah, I think it is that preconceived idea that everything's like Bondi Beach. And especially for those Mm. moving to Melbourne, they suddenly, you know, we've had one degree overnight. Yeah. Oh, I think it was negative four at one point. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's that preconceived idea. You know, if you were in London and you were looking for a rental, you could probably go and look at 20 apartments in one day, maybe go and have a second looking 
you know, you could take you could take your time really to find an apartment. And when I tell people we've only got 15 minutes for an open inspection, um, they're quite taken aback at how quickly our rental market moves and how much competition there is. So I think that's probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks is people not really understanding that Australia is a very different rental market to other parts of the world. And I understand that you actually offer a service where you inspect the properties and have everything ready to go. And once they arrive, they actually have a house ready to move into. Yes, that's definitely one of our most popular services is the inspect for you service. Um, mainly because it saves people money in not having to have any temporary accommodation. But the other advantage of that is they have us to guide them through the rental process. We have a longer period of time to look for homes. So we could be starting to look four weeks before they arrive. So the average person will come in, they might book two, three, four weeks accommodation and then only have that time. They've got a lot of pressure on them to find a place. So we can actually start looking in advance. Um, But the idea with the inspect for you service was to eliminate the need for any temporary accommodation if possible. Um, And I would say 99% of the times we're able to do that. We find a house in the right school zones that matches their family budget, their lifestyle, what school they're looking for for their children. Um, They can arrive and the children can start school the following week and they're back in routine because that's when you save money is when you're back in routine, you're not eating out, there's no hidden costs. So, yeah, that's a very popular service. It's it's a really good point regarding the schooling zones as well. Uh, I've sort of recently experienced this myself with my own children and especially in sort of city parts of Melbourne or even even the sort of outer suburbs of Melbourne that the zones are really tight and yes. and you don't really have a lot of choice of what school to send your children to so if you end up in a zone where it's maybe not a school that you want your children to go to it can be quite challenging to get them into another school absolutely and our local knowledge is so worthwhile in that process because yeah most people can only, you know, if you're sitting in England or France, wherever you might be sitting, you can only judge schools based on their rankings or judge them by their website. Um, It's not always ideal because the population in that school might be a very big population and your child might be wanting a, a smaller, more intimate school. So there's a lot of differences. And when it comes to high schools, it's important to choose properly because yeah. you want to have the choice of subjects that your children are going to want. There's a lot to, to take into consideration. So it's we're looking at the relocation as a, from a holistic point of view, looking over across everything and making sure that we match that suburb and that lifestyle to the school subjects, <laughs> to everything that that family needs. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's um, one of the other points too, is like, uh, uh, yeah, my partner and I are going through this uh, conversation at the moment with with our, our daughter. She's she's not quite high school age, but it it's like, do we send them to a school like the school in our zone is really quite academic, mm. but yeah. she's more artistic, so it yes. may not actually be the right fit for her. So yes. it's it's that having that local knowledge of what the public schools are like and whether that's yes. going to suit your child. And it can be a costly mistake. You know, I I had a client a few years back who contacted me from Switzerland. She had sent her son out here to do two years of schooling just for the experience. I think he was doing years eight and nine. So he wasn't a young boy. And um, she had chosen the school based on rankings, academic performance, et cetera, et cetera. But when he got there, 
he couldn't make friends because the yeah, actual population okay. within that school was not familiar with Europeans even. So it really didn't work. And it cost her a lot of money and she got me involved to actually get him enrolled in a new school. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at private school uniform costs, but they're probably around $1,000 a child. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that in itself, besides the school fees, is um, quite a costly exercise if you get it wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other stumbling blocks that you find people face? I think that there's a lot of things that people can do before they arrive. Um, yeah. And one of those would definitely be opening a bank account. People don't realize you can open a bank account before you arrive. Money yeah. laundering laws changed a little bit during COVID. So pre-COVID, okay. and that had nothing to do with COVID. It was, it was a, bit, a bigger picture if there was a bigger picture, bigger than COVID. But um, the laws changed during COVID in that previously you could open a bank account before arriving and you could deposit money into that account, but you could not withdraw until you arrived. Now it has all changed. You can open a bank account only three months prior to arrival and you cannot deposit or withdraw money until you arrive in country. Okay. And that includes before people sort of think, because I had a lot of clients during COVID who had perhaps started working for the Australian company, but they couldn't travel here yet. And then the Australian company wanted to pay them into their Australian bank account. That couldn't even be done. Right. So okay. you can open a bank account before you arrive. And in fact, I do encourage my clients, I've got um, resources for them to open the bank account prior to arrival because we use that as part of the supporting documents for their rental application. So I do encourage people to still open a bank account, um, but you can only fully activate it once you arrive on shore and go into the into the bank itself. Okay. That's really handy to know. Yeah. I've assisted a lot of clients who were relocating from overseas and there's this general misconception that it's not possible at all Mm. to open a a bank account from outside of Australia. No, you definitely can. You can, you can definitely open the account. And I think another stumbling block while we're on that is, is to do with foreign exchange. Um, And I see that a lot because we're finding properties before people arrive as you might know, in in Australia, the rental market, if you've been accepted on a, prop, on a property, you have between 24 and 48 hours to pay the first month's rent, and then they'll stop advertising the property. That confirms that you're taking, taking the apartment. So when I'm finding houses for people before they arrive in Australia, they have to actually pay an international transfer directly to the estate agent. So making sure that you've got good foreign exchange in place is very important because there's a couple of fly-by nights there and and a lot of people in that will look at the foreign exchange and they'll say, well, the bank only charges me $10 to do it. Um, But the bank's going to take three to four days, sometimes a week. So that doesn't work. Um, You really have to to open an account with some sort of investment company or something that somebody that can do foreign exchange for you. And again, I work with companies that do that. I'm not trying to do a hard sell, but, you know, I work with companies that that I trust will make sure that that rental money is paid here quickly. Okay. And it just helps secure the property so that they don't lose it just just for the reason of they can't transfer the funds. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you able to expand a little bit into the uh, rental application process? Yeah, that's that's always one that that catches everybody. To be honest, the rental application process here is is hard and fast. And for people who are arriving, 
you have a very short space of time to to try and find something. So if you're arriving okay. and you've already booked accommodation, you might only have two or three weeks. So you're really at the mercy of what's available on the rental market. The estate agents these days manage very big portfolios. Some of them have two or 300 properties that they're managing. So the whole process is actually very automated. We have to get your rental application or you have to get your rental application ready before you even start looking at properties. Um, you would then go along to the open inspection. So the estate agents will advertise to everybody who's interested in the property. They will advertise that the door will be open for 15 minutes. And yeah. anybody who's interested in that property can go in during that 15 minutes. So you're literally looking at a property with maybe only five, but maybe as many as 30 people uh, in, a, in a home. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been through that process yes. many times and it's usually a queue out the door. Yes, yes. So everybody has a look at the property. The estate agent will go back to her desk or his desk and they will process the rental applications. So if you... Don't have your rental application on the desk ASAP. You're already going to get put to the bottom of the pile. Australians okay. always work on a first-in, best-dressed code. <laughs> so yeah. that, that is the same for your rental application. So if you're trying to negotiate a rental application and you're still sitting overseas, the estate agent is not going to wait for you to wake up. You need to have somebody in this time zone actually chasing those applications. Okay. Um, so the estate agent will then shortlist three to five applications that they will present to the landlord and the landlord will choose who they want to go into the property. Okay. You can apply for more than one property at a time. In fact, most of the estate agents expect that that's what you are doing is applying for more than one property at a time just because things move so quickly. Um, so if something is staying on the rental market, if you're seeing it on, on the platforms for more than two weeks, there's something wrong with that property. There's a building next door or there's a train line or there's something right. else that's detracting from it. That's a really um, good insight. Yeah. And the estate agents will only process uh, applications for people who have inspected or if somebody's inspected on your behalf. And I get that question emailed to me a lot saying, I've emailed the estate agents about this house and they're not answering me. Well, yeah. they've got 20 other applications from people in the same village, so they're not going to answer you. Yeah, so, yeah fair it's enough. it's very hard and fast. Would you suggest putting in the rental application prior to the first inspection for the property? It varies from estate agent to estate agent. Some like it, some don't, and they're not going right. to process it anyway until afterwards. Okay. Um, but you, your rental application is, is your best offer on the table. Yeah. So in most instances, I say to the clients, let's wait till we've seen it in case we want to put in a better offer or we want to negotiate something. So in most cases, I won't put in an application until we've seen the property. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. During COVID, a lot of agents turned around and rather asked you to submit applications prior to inspecting because then they only shortlisted five people to come and inspect the house because of COVID okay. restrictions. And some of the estate agents quite like that idea now. But those are questions we would ask the estate agent prior. Right. So you've already got those relationships with the yes. agents so you understand what their preference is. Yes, Yes. Okay. Yes. And a very important part of this for your listeners is that they must apply for a rental property on the same platform that the estate agent uses because ah, there's different okay. rental application platforms. So there's one form, there's Ignite, there's Snug, there's yep. To Apply. And if they don't, because it's all such an automated process and, you know, they might already have a profile on Snug, so they just keep sending their rental applications there. It's not going to reach the estate agent because that estate agent might not be on Snug. 
it's all very automated. Yeah, okay. And what about furniture removals? Mm, yes, that's a big cost. You know, yeah. there's, there's certain things that are a big cost when, you, when you're moving internationally. Furniture removals, temporary accommodation, and that first rental are, are the big ticket items. Furniture removals is definitely a place you can save money if you know what to look for. First of all, it's no good asking on the internet or asking on social media, can t- somebody tell me the price of a 20-foot container going from London to Melbourne? Because everybody yeah. is different. Their packing requirements all impact the price. You know, one person might have a lot of fine art and another one doesn't, or it might have a big plasma TV that requires a crate. So all yeah. those things impact the price. Access impacts the price. In London, there might be parking permits required, or you might need to have a crane or a cherry picker to get things out of a window. So you can't compare like for like the actual shipping of the goods. There's not much variation in it. Okay. But the the personalizing of your furniture removals and the packing, unpacking, that's where the costs come in. So it's hard to compare. That's probably the first tip I would get on furniture removal. Secondly, is people don't look at the insurance percentage. Okay. So they might go out and they get three removals quotes. The total is on the bottom of the form, and that all looks fine, and that's what people compare. You know, Palmer's is, is giving me 60000 JB whatever's giving me 20000 That's all fine. Compare that, but you must go and check the insurance percentage. It's not included in your total. And your insurance percentage is based on the value you place on your goods. Right. Okay. So if you place a value of 200,000 and the next person places a value of 500,000 on their goods, it's going to impact your costs immensely. So go and compare those insurance percentages. Now, for an international moves, the most it should be is three and a half percent. Okay. So if you're placing a value of $200,000 on your goods, it would be three and a half percent of that value. So that's a very important aspect to compare in your quotes is that insurance. And it's not on the quote initially because until the removalist gets the go-ahead from you to move their goods, they don't produce any insurance forms. Okay. So there's no values discussed. And very often that's where they'll catch you. So make sure you're comparing that. And while you're looking at the insurance, compare the excess. Yeah, okay. That can make a big difference too. Yes. It's a hidden cost. Yes, there's definitely costs. You can save thousands in just checking the insurance alone. And another thing I find people do is they will go and get a cheap and cheerful removalist and a high-end removalist and then try and compare them. You can't do that either. The high-end removalists will have accreditation and standards. They might belong to BAR, which is the British British Association of Removalists. Okay. Or they might belong to the French Federation, but they will have a set of standards that they have to maintain. And therefore, you're getting a higher service, but you're also getting the guarantee of that service. So they will cost you more than cheap and cheerful removalists. So does that mean that those authorities have like a, a reporting process? If you're not happy with the removalist, you can contact them. Correct. They not only that you've got yeah so that you've got that reporting line that you can go back if you've got a problem, but also they have standards to maintain and they will they will lose their accreditation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they are audited every year to make make sure that they're maintaining the standards of that association. That's really helpful, Robin. 
I, I was having a look through your website and at some of the other services you offer. Um, so it's not just international relocations, it's um, domestic relocations as well. Yes. Do, you, do you do many interstate relocations? Yes. I do. Um, I've really focused on the internationals because that's where I think I can add most value and I can help them save money, but definitely on the uh, the domestic. And I think for a few reasons. One, I have a lot of corporate clients who have got to know me through international relocations and then want me to just you know, do local moves. Yeah, and okay. For the corporates, I've done moves across Asia. They haven't even come into Australia or across America. So I've oh, wow. coordinated okay. those moves A to Z for them as well. Um, during COVID, it became the interstate moves really took off a lot because people did not want to travel interstate to go and look at properties. Um, and the third type is is really the time poor or time-sensitive time executives who don't have time to fly to Sydney or Brisbane to go and have a look at properties themselves so they can engage our services to go and look at those properties on their behalf. So you have team members in each capital city of Australia? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. And I also noticed on your website that you've written a book, uh, your DIY move to Australia. What inspired you to write that? I have an old, old friend from South Africa and her and I caught up for a coffee one day and I was having a bit of a bad day and complaining that human resources don't understand how difficult it is to move in Australia if they haven't moved here themselves. Um, and she was actually rather upset because she had a lot of South Africans within her church congregation that she was on suicide watch for just oh, because wow. of the long time, long-term stress of relocating um, and, you know, marriages were breaking down, et cetera, et cetera. So we decided we wanted to write a book for people who are moving to Australia. Um, so our first book was actually focused just on South Africans because that's where the South African mindset is very different to other countries because the South Africans that move here, um, they move here with the intention of never going back. Whereas if we're moving an, a British person or American, they've got the option to go back to their home country. So the original book was really for South Africans, and that was such a good seller that we decided to make it a more generalised book. And okay. that's where we came about with your DIY Move Guide to Australia, um, which is on Amazon and it's across nine different countries. Um, and that's been great. It's a great resource, and it's pretty much it's not just on how to move, how to save money and the processes, but it's the long term. It's how to tell children when when it's time to move. When do you tell the children? Yeah, okay. It's really also about trying to get people prepared in their heads as much as their hearts. Okay, it's sort of sort of things that people might not even think about until they're yes. getting ready to go through the process or even in hindsight once they've already moved. Absolutely. You know, there's things in there about how to prepare grandparents because that's something you just oh, wow. don't think about. You know, no, you don't think no. about it until you hear and you realise oh, Gran doesn't really understand the time zones. Yeah. You know, it's the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all those little things. So not only is it the operational side of moving, but it's the mind as well, the head, and what, what you need to understand. And I also noticed on your website that you've got a cost of living calculator and a relocation checklist, which people yes. can download free of charge. Yes, absolutely. And again, you know, I want to make relocation available or some sort of support available to anybody and everybody. It costs too much money when you make mistakes. So you really need to have, and cost of living is one of those things that people investigate early on. They're investigating yeah. the cost of living when they're looking at job offers. 
you know, is the salary going to cover my cost of living? So those things are, are free. They are on the website under the resources page. And I would even encourage people to read some of the blogs that I've written there. It's firsthand experience of, you know, seeing yeah. a wonderful apartment on the internet and then going there and <laughs> realizing that it's a, yeah. a complete mess ball. <laughs> so, I can imagine so yes, that happens a lot. It does, sadly. Yeah. It does. Yes. So that's uh, for anyone listening, that's um, www.personalrelocations.com.au. Uh, and it actually pops up on the first page. You can pop your email address and name in there as well. Yes. We don't spam people <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> there is a monthly newsletter and that's always introducing perhaps a service provider or somebody else who can help them on their journey. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today, Robin. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nick, for taking the time to share Robin's story. I like that she was raw and honest, that Australia wasn't easy at first. And I think that's something that not many people really speak about and can quite happen a lot in life where people focus a lot on the like the destination, but not necessarily the journey. So for example, like how beautiful parenthood is, but it can be so hard and stressful at the time of becoming a new parent. Um, starting a new career, you know how hard that is to find your feet in a new role. Starting a business, like that's such a great thing to do, but it's so hard at the time. Um, building a new house, but how hands-on it is. And in this instance, Robin being really candid and honest and raw about migrating to Australia, how it is such a wonderful place to live, but it doesn't come easy and it certainly doesn't come easy to everyone. So just because the destination is so fantastic doesn't necessarily mean that the journey to get there wasn't a hard one and almost to the point where it's a bit of a stigma to talk about. So that's why I think Robin's journey is fantastic where she's taken her own journey to Australia and she's made it raw and real and made a business out of it by helping others with those relocation services inspired entirely by her own journey. And it actually makes for a fabulous business story as well as a migration story. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to make it clear that her website is actually personalrelocations.com.au. So P-E-R-S-O-N-N-E-L, relocations.com.au. We'll have a link to her website in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Journey Towards podcast. If you have liked what you've heard, please subscribe and also leave us a review. The Journey to Oz podcast is produced by Nick Hansen from Hansen Migration, Migration Agent Registration Number 1679147, and Evan Bishop from Worldly Migration, Migration Agent Registration Number 1679414. Any information discussed in this podcast is made available for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional advice. We do not make any guarantee or accept any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of any of the information discussed. You should obtain advice from a registered migration agent or an immigration lawyer before acting on any of the content discussed in this podcast. You can find a list of registered migration agents by visiting naira.gov.au. The information contained within this podcast may not be reproduced without our prior written consent. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of land throughout Australia and pay respects to their elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders today. Thank you for listening.